following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Um, well, great. Glad that you guys are here. We're going to continue in our Upside Down series. We're almost through. This is our seventh of eighth week. Next week, we're going to finish up our Upside Down series. And this is our series through Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, these eight characteristics of, of what a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus looks like. And sometimes these can be somewhat of a paradox. They can seem like negative things, and, and Jesus explains that these are blessings. It is a blessings to, to have these characteristics in our life. And so this morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And so would you go there, and we'll read this, this brief verse together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know, the eight Beatitudes, as we work through this passage together, I don't think there are any more, more descriptive than, of our relationship with God than this beatitude right here. It doesn't describe what a peacemaker is or how to become a peacemaker, but simply it describes a characteristic specifically demonstrating the likeness of God. This is what God is like, and this is what it is like for, uh, this, this is a characteristic that is in the person who is like him. Now, if I were to say, blessed are the curly-haired people, for they shall be called sons of Pete. Now, if you've never seen me, but you heard this statement, you would know something about myself, you would know something about this Pete guy, you would know something about his children. You would instantly know that I had curly hair and an identifying marker as well as my children. Now, this is a very poor analogy because my kids have straight blonde hair with blue eyes. Um, but, however, the family trait of God, the family trait of God are much more dominant and they're undeniably manifested in the life of a genuine follower of Jesus. And that's what all of these Beatitudes are aiming to communicate to us. Jesus is describing to us to be a peacemaker is to be a person is a mark of God to be a person who follows him and looks like him and, and is made in his likeness. A peacemaker brings God's love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his strength and wisdom into the conflicts of life. And so as we, as, as followers of Jesus, we, we bring these marks of God into every area of our life, into our neighborhoods and workplaces and into our homes. We are bearing this mark of peace and we are bringing it into every area of our life. And so to understand this, this beauty of, and depth of this beatitude and what it means to be a peacemaker, we're going to see three things. First is peace shows us what God is like. It's important to see that. Peace shows us what, what we become in Christ, and peace shows us what are, we are called to do. And so first, let's look at peace shows us what God is like. Saying this is a characteristic of God, it is immediately pointing us to what is God like? What, sh what should we know about him? What should we focus our attention on? And so saying, that, saying this phrase, God is a God of peace, I think needs some explanation. In the Bible, there's no better word that describes and talks about this nature of God as, as a God of peace than the Hebrew word shalom. Maybe you've heard that before. It was, it's used in, in, in the Hebrew context as a, a greeting and a salutation, kind of like hello and goodbye, kind of like a uh, Hawaiians use uh, aloha. You know, they use it for everything. You know, it's, just, it's, a, it's not just hello, it's not just goodbye, it's something, it's a wholeness of life. It is, 
it is far more than what the English word, the English translation means of just peace. It's far more than just that. It means complete wholeness. It means unbrokenness, restored or reconciled. It means whatever this is, was intended to be in its complete perfect, perfect wholeness, that is shalom. And it wasn't understood just on a, a spiritual level, but shalom was the proclamation of restoration and peace at every level of the human experience. Relationally, emotionally, socially and economically, even physically. When your body is healthy, you experience energy and strength. And, and it's because all the parts of your body are, are working in unity with one another, and they're working together to feel this, this strength in your body, to accomplish something with your body. But when you age or when you're injured or when you become sick, there's something in your body that has become out of physical shalom, out of wholeness. It's, something becomes broken, and then your body begins to work against itself to where you feel pain and you feel discomfort. And eventually, we, our bodies age and we die. We feel this loss of physical shalom. We know what this is like even emotionally. When things are going well in your life and things are clicking, you might have this, this confidence or this contentment in life. You feel that all things are kind of at peace in your heart. And then when some circumstance comes into your life, something happens, it, it works against that emotional shalom and you feel that something is not whole, something is not complete, something is broken. You feel anxiety or guilt or fear or confusion. There's an internal conflict. This is a loss of emotional shalom. And the Bible explains in detail the cause of why we feel this brokenness of shalom. God created all things in shalom because he is a God of peace. He created things whole and unbroken and perfect, and even declaring in Genesis as he created all that we see and that we do not see, he says it was all very good. It was all as he intended it to be, and somehow peace was broken. Sin entered into the world, and it defaced everything that it came in contact with. Everything, and mankind became estranged with God and alienated from him. This is called the fall, the fall from shalom. And when we lost this peace with God, the world stopped working right. It hasn't worked perfectly. It hasn't worked right since that time. But the Bible has always looked forward to this time when shalom would be restored, when God's peace would be reconciled with mankind, with, with, with all of creation. It always looked forward to this time. And, and there's this verse I want to read that's usually read only at Christmas time, but it shouldn't be. And so, let's have a little Christmas in August. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For, us, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the word shalom. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So long ago, the Bible is proclaiming in so many ways, looking forward to this time, 
when shalom would be once and forever restored, complete, unbroken, brought back to a place where it was intended to be. So to understand what it means to be a peacemaker, we need to understand that God is a peacemaker, that God is a God of peace. Jesus did not come, die, and raise from the dead so that you and I could merely be nice, calm, and peaceful people. He did this to restore all of creation to its intended purpose. Why should I be a Christian? Why should I follow God? Why should I learn about the Bible? Well, maybe, you know, to be a better person, to be a, a more calm person. I want to pray more. I want to read the Bible more so that I could be, uh, be at peace with pe- those around us, so that I can just have a good character, so that people can look up to me, so that I can just be a good citizen. I mean, all of these things are, are usually what we think about, and it never goes further than that. But imagine that, that God came, that he came as a man, that he died our death and lived our life, and he rose from the dead, all so that we can just be nice people. But no, it's so that everything, all of creation, could be restored to its intended purpose. The work of Jesus on the cross is not minimized just to us, but the restoration of all things that are broken in every area of society, emotionally, physically, relationally, culturally, socially, at every level of the human experience. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And peace shows us what we become as we look to God and we look at his peace and who he is, that he's a God of shalom, and then we look and we see that he has given us his peace. In Christ, what does it mean to have peace? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So we are now, by faith, as we look to Christ and we see his work for us, we are made into a new person. Not only do we have this new condition, but we are adopted into God's family. When we trust in Jesus and his sacrifice for us, our identity rests in the good news of his peace to restore what has been broken. And we know that God is pleased with us because he is pleased with Jesus. One of the core identities of the gospel, of the good news that we talk about so much here, is is the doctrine of adoption of spiritual adoption, that God welcomes us into, uh, under, into his family. God has a family. He has one family. And he brings people from all tribes and all nations and all parts of the world and, and all different kinds of backgrounds, and he calls people into one family. And he calls us his children. And he gives us a new identity as sons and daughters of God. And he restores in our lives what has been broken, and he and He. And he increases that image of Christ in our life. And this is an identity that we are so often prone to forget. Where we are truly, by faith, we're adopted children. We are sons and daughters of God, and yet we act so often like orphans. And yet we should act like children. Consider some of these differences for how an orphan might act differently than a genuine child. The orphan lacks a confidence and to approach God 
and they approach God with hesitancy and concern and, and fear. And yet, a child is not fearful, but approaches God with confidence and joy. An orphan lives life on a success-fail basis, just waiting for, you know, if I do good, then God will bless me, and if I do bad, then he will punish me. But a child feels forgiven and accepted by God, knowing that they could not lose that identity, that place in the family. An orphan compares themselves with other people to determine their worth and their value, but a child is secure in the love of God. When I, when I run into people and ask them where they have come, I remember talking to somebody, asking them where they were from, and they said, oh, I'm from Salem, Massachusetts. And there's one thing that comes to my mind when I hear that. <laughs> oh, an unfortunate black blemish on American history of the witch trials and the, the witchcraft and just dozens of people who were killed. And now they've, they have put up a monument in Salem, Massachusetts, that basically it's a memorial to those who were wrongfully accused and were killed. And it basically says, you know, to the victims of the the witchcraft hysteria, and then I'm paraphrasing, it just says, you know, my bad. <laughs> Sorry about that. Salem, Massachusetts, most of us probably think of that one thing, as the Salem witch trial. And you should if you were taught in school of any measure of American history. But Salem is a form of the Hebrew word shalom. It means peace. This city means the city of peace. And yet, it, it was settled by the Puritans in the early 1600s, and it quickly became known for something entirely different than peace. Something very troubling and sad, and, and forever is remembered as not a city of peace, but of something else. It's as if like an alien life had, would come to our world and ask us, oh, where do you come from? And we were to say, oh, we are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and they would say, Ooh, man, you really messed that one up. We would love to be remembered for what we were intended to become in life rather than what we truly are. And I imagine Salem, if they could do it all over again, they might change some things. They wanted, they established this community. It was actually the second settlement in the colonies, and they, they wanted to establish this community to be a community of peace. That was their intended purpose, and it became known for something much else. And we were God, we were created and created in peace, and God looked at us and said, everything is good, and we would love to be remembered as people who are good and have, didn't get it wrong, and yet we are remembered for something entirely different, as people who have, in different ways, rebelled against God and sinned against him, and, and we are not people who are people of peace, but we make mistakes so much. And the, the work of Jesus was and is God's strategy to accomplish the very thing of restoring us to our identity that we were created to be. To give us an identity that is what is we, we were intended to be rather than what we truly are. Because so as we look at our life, we say, look at what I've come, become, look at the experiences I've had, look at the mistakes I have made. I'm, I've quickly become known for something that I'm not proud of. And the whole purpose of God's strategy in Jesus Christ is to bring shalom into our life and to restore everything that has been broken. The brutal crucifixion of Jesus was and is God's strategy to bring about lasting and forever peace between us and God and us and each other. And so 
laying this important foundation of God as a peacemaker, and then this peace that he has accomplished in our lives through Jesus Christ. We'll turn lastly to this calling to peace. You see, God is a God of peace. His purpose is to restore everything to their original good, and he gives us peace in Jesus Christ. His strategy to restore our lives and relationship with him is Jesus, and now he calls us to be peacemakers. It is a mark of belonging to God. This is the pattern for all of life. God is love. God shows love to us, and therefore we show love to others. God is mercy. He is merciful to us, and therefore we should extend mercy to others. God is joyful. He gives joy to us and fills our life with joy, and it overflows into joy for people around us. This is the pattern for all of God's characteristics as he gives them to us. And so it is with peace. God is a God of peace. He gives us his peace, and we are called to be peacemakers. To be peaceful is not merely to be kind, and this is something I wrestled with thinking through this. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Does it mean that we just become a kind person, a gentle person, a a meek person? It is not merely just to be a kind person, but it is, it means to restore everything just like God has done. It means to enter into areas of life that are broken and to restore peace wherever it is possible for us. It is to go out of our way to weave our life into the world around us, bringing peace, proclaiming the peace of God. God broke down the barriers of love by sending his son to die for us in our place. He broke down those those barriers in our way to having peace with God by sending his son. And so peacemaking is doing the same. Pastor John Piper says, peacemaking is all the acts of love by which you try to remove walls between yourself and other people. To be a peacemaker is to be a peace worker, to think and deliberately think, how can I bring down barriers in this relationship that I have with somebody else? As long as it depends on me, how can I remove obstacles to peace and love in this relationship. As long as it depends on me, what can I do that I'm not doing to sacrifice, to enter into this situation, to mend where there is conflict, to bring love where there is hurt, to offer forgiveness where there has been wrongdoing, is to actively enter into brokenness and seek out peace. Ken Sandy wrote a book called The, uh, the Peacemakers, and it's, it's a really great p- a book about practical things to think about, about why God is a God of peace, how he loves peace, and how we can be peacemakers in our life. And, and since this is the seventh beatitude in our series, I'm going to give you seven quick applications for how to practically enter into areas of our life and, and bring peace. Here are some practical ways. The first one is whenever there is conflict. Our primary goal is the glory of God with our thoughts, words, and actions. And so to be a peacemaker is into moments where there are conflict, to think about, okay, I want my thoughts, my words, my actions, I want everything to be motivated to glorify God in this situation. And so we take that extra time and we think about, God, I want to react to this, I want to act in a certain way, and I don't really know how or what to do, but I want, first and foremost, I want to honor you in this, I want to glorify you in this. 
and that's our main motivation. Just taking that first step can change so much and accomplish so much in our relationships with others. We'll probably wouldn't say some things that we would maybe say without thinking through this. We might do some things that we would regret. It would change our attitudes and our thoughts. The second thing we can do is we'll try to get logs out of our own eyes before focusing on what others may have done wrong. This is in Matthew chapter 7. Take the log out of your own eyes so that you can then restore a brother. So it's, it's taking time to think, God, some, I feel I've been hurt, there's been peace that has been broken, but I know how I am prone to do the same. Examine my heart. See, we want to be good eye doctors, but we need to take that veil off our heart and ask God, would you reveal anything in me that needs to be confessed of, repented of? Would you give me a gentle heart and a, a compassionate spirit? Would you allow me to be patient to restore this person in a way that's actually good and healthy for them? Thirdly, we'll seek to overlook minor offenses. You know, you want peace. You want to be a peacemaker. This means that we will not put our finger on everything. This means we will not uh, demand an account for everything that is done wrong. It means that we will be patient with people, and when things are done wrong, if they are minor and can be overlooked, that means we bear it. We overlook it. We allow people to make mistakes. Number four, we will not gossip, but talk directly with the person who has offended us. Gossip can just be like this wildfire. Gossip creates barriers to peace, to love. And if we want to bring down those barriers, we should, we should adjust our practices of how we talk about people that are more consistent with God's wisdom and his word by going to people if we are hurt or if we have been offended where there is lack of peace, we should go to that person specifically one-on-one -on -one and talk to them so much Pain can be covered over by doing that. Number five, when someone tries to correct us, we'll ask for God's help to resist prideful defensiveness and we'll welcome correction with humility. This takes practice, it takes preparation, it takes a ton of humility. When someone comes to us and confronts us with something, even if we feel like they may be wrong or right, having the time to allow them to correct us, to receive that with humility, to bring that before God and prayerfully consider if that is true. We don't react too quickly. And number six, when others repent, we will ask God to empower us to extend grace to forgive them as he has forgiven us. It's easy for us to not want people to get off the hook so easily. We want people to pay. We want people to spend time kind of in time out if they have hurt us. But we should ask that God would empower us to extend forgiveness and grace and mercy to them as we have received. And lastly, we will look out for others' interests as well as our own. We will not only think what is good for us in this moment, how can I win, how can I succeed, but we should think how can I be a blessing to them? What is good for them? How can I build them up, edify them? So being a peacemaker is not just merely being a kind person. It's not just being a person who folds our hands and is someone who is just gentle and mild in our life, but it's a person that actively pursues areas of brokenness in our lives, in our relationships, and in the world around us and enters in as an advocate for God's peace. Shalom is our calling. As followers of Christ, our shalom and peace, being a peacemaker is our calling. He calls every child, every Christian to bring the good news of shalom 
into every fabric of society. Peace is a work that each of us should and be ready to pursue. Peace is the feet of the armor of God. If you're familiar with that passage in Ephesians 6, the armor of God, we, also, we often think of, you know, like the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and, and the sword of, of truth. We think of all these wonderful things, but then the feet, the shoes of peace, meaning that we should be ready. We should gird ourselves and be ready to be peaceful with others. Colossians 3, 15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. When we enter into relationship with others, it should be like a song that praises God. We're to live as a witness to the peace we have in Christ, a foretaste. Someone has described it to me as this, like we should be like that pink spoon at Baskin-Robbins. Those little tasters, those little yogurt cups at the serve-yourself yogurt places. We should be, our lives should do that very thing. It should be a foretaste of the future peace that is coming to creation. This is what God is like. This is what is coming. He will restore all things to their good, and we are ambassadors of that. There is this scene, I'll close with, with this story. Um, in the Chronicles of Narnia, in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, there is this scene when the White Witch's army is about to be taken over and about to be defeated, and Aslan is kind of gathering uh, his army, and they go to the White Witch's castle. And in the courtyard of the castle are all these creatures who have become stone. They've been turned to stone by the curse of the witch. And as they're walking through, it's a, it's, it, the scene is very heartbreaking. You realize that what was alive is now broken and solid, and it's cold, and time has stood still, and there is no softness in it. And Aslan goes in, up to a statue and breathes on the statue, and the statue begins to melt, and this person becomes alive. And he does this again, and he pounces all around this courtyard, and he has... Lucy with him and others with him, and he gives instruction to the people who are with him. He says, go into the castle and around the, the, the grounds of the castle and go into every room and seek out other statues, and I will come and breathe on them. And that is exactly what God has called us to do. He hasn't called us to save anybody. He hasn't told us to bring, give new life to anybody, but he calls us to seek out in your life all areas of brokenness and point them to me and show them of my peace and I will come and give them life. To be a peacemaker is to consider every area of our lives. Look at your home. This is the context that God has given you to seek out areas of brokenness and to point them to Christ. Look at your neighborhoods to seek out areas of brokenness in our world and point them to Christ. In your workplace and in our culture, we should not be surprised when we see that there is brokenness in our world. But we should gird ourselves with the shoes of peace and be ready for action. We are called to this. Not avoiding brokenness, not avoiding our own brokenness, not avo avoiding the brokenness around us, 
but feeling called as peacemakers to seek out brokenness as Christ has sought out brokenness in us and preach the good news of Jesus' restoration that he makes all things new by the work of his grace on the cross. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.